You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Hey everybody, it is Wednesday. Time for American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. How's everybody doing? My name is Alex. We are back. I'm going to take the music down there. There we go. Hit pause and bring my guests back up. Uh, my guest tonight is uh, a uh, uh, his, he goes by the name Glow G L O capital G L O and uh, he is part of the Red Pill community. And for those of you who don't know what that is, uh, we will get into that. Um, Glow, how you doing, man? I'm doing really well. How are you? I am good. Thanks for asking. Uh, Glow is joining us all the way from Chile today. Uh, he's he's down there for a couple months. Um, and, uh, yeah, man, so we're, we're going to jump right into it. Um, I just want to know, uh, tell us about your background, like, cause you've had a pretty interesting life. I've been talking to you for the past couple of weeks now. Um, and, yeah. uh, you've, uh, you've, you've had quite a ride. So just, uh, just give us a, a sense of who you are, where, where you were born and, and, uh, you know, where you grew up and all that. Okay. Well, uh, I was born in Russia and I came to the U S and being a Russian, um, my views are of the right. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in California, went to law school in California, which if anyone knows, law school in California feeds right into the Democratic Party. And uh, I really didn't enjoy the politics of that. And um, instead, I decided to be a thought criminal and started writing for the Manosphere in the largest anti-feminist community known as the Red Pill. That's how I'm utilizing my law school smarts and uh, I paid for my university and law school by being a high-end personal trainer so now I have a combo service where I try and pull people out of uh, liberalism uh, mentally and try and move them into uh, traditional masculinity physically so that's that's what I've been doing for I guess two years now and it's, it's doing it's going really really well Okay, well, there's a lot in there, man. So you, you were born in Russia. Where in Russia were you? Bo- were you born? I was, I was born in St. Petersburg. Um, I wasn't, you know, I came to the U.S. when I was young, when I was five. But you know, I kind of grew up in a, you know, raised by my grandparents. And so just just because you're in the U.S. doesn't mean you integrate into a, you know mainstream American culture. You still have your parents, and then you have your parents' friends. And you know, as a child, you really gravitate towards those views. Um, you know, I, I think if I was born in the U S then I would maybe be more culturally integrated into that. But, um, um, you know, I guess the, the, the Russians who are born in the U S, you know, have more of that liberal mentality, Mm -hmm. but the ones who, you know, the ones who immigrate, uh, maintain their, let's say, uh, traditionalist roots or ethnic roots. I don't know how to how to put it, but it's it's interesting in that I've been in the U.S. long enough to speak a perfect English, so that everything I say doesn't get put in the wacky foreigner box. And I guess that's what makes me so potent in the red pill. Maybe that's what makes me so potent here is that if I spoke this Russian accent, you know, you would put me in that box mm-hmm. and you would just dismiss this. But um, so it's it's a it's a one way. Th- bring the ideas of Eastern Europe into the consciousness of American men. 
Okay, and that's pretty interesting that you maintained, like you said, sort of the traditionalist uh, values of Russia when you moved here when you were five. You said so that's pretty early, and yet yeah. you still you still maintained it. And you said you were you were raised primarily by your grandparents. Was that your mom's parents or your dad's parents? Yeah, uh, both. Both. But um, you know, my my mom did a lot of working. She worked night shifts. You know, uh, in in pharma. But um, you know, basically, my mother remarried. Uh, you know. <laughs> My stepdad's American, and basically, I got a. I saw, you know, American masculinity, American liberal masculinity, and I knew what Russian masculinity was. <laughs> and after having a firsthand look, I said, you know, I choose the Russian version. That looks better. And so uh, I, I stuck with that, and I fought for that. And um, yeah, I guess I guess that's how I maintain my values. Well, the other hand, you know, we have the internet, and you know, you could watch anything now so you don't really get culturally isolated regardless of where you are and that's another way of maintaining your values uh so tell me about your childhood and like what kind of a student you were and you know just growing up after you moved from russia at the age of five i mean do you even have any memories of of like and what what are your memories of russia first of all i suppose would be the first question well i mean uh, you know right in the 1990s russia was a shithole so the, the <laughs> It's it's a complete economic collapse, and so you have a lot of very very talented people who they just don't have a job anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, you have doctors and professors and lawyers, and you know, yeah, they have the skill set, but no one even gives a fuck about that skill set, right? So it's it's this big question of, you know, now what, right? And so uh, Russia had a big brain drain, which I guess my mom and my grandparents are a part of. Um, and it, it was really, really bad. And then gradually, um, they, they moved away from that, let's say liberal economic policies where all of the resources were being siphoned off. And then they, uh, moved towards, uh, everyone's favorite Vladimir Putin. And, um, the economy stabilized. I think the Russian economy peaked at around 2005, 2007, and then that's when all the sanction games began after the invasion of Georgia, the Russian invasion of Georgia. So, um, yeah, uh, but but with you know, I was a great student. I was always an amazing student, and uh, I've degree in political science and biology, and I, uh, you know, my grandfather wrote for a Russian newspaper in New York. And so I, I was always interested in politics and law and social policy. But I guess where I got disenchanted was I realized that where the polit you know where a bachelor's in political science feeds into is um, kind of writing for a cuck national review. You know, they they like you as so long as you support um, the agenda, let's just say that. Uh, but when you start asking deeper questions, they don't really like that at all. So I, in college, I start to discover that where I try and write a thought-provoking paper, but because it was anti-liberal, it wasn't really appreciated. And so I guess that's when I started fighting my professors, not continue throughout law school. Okay. So that's... Well, so you're you're growing up in, in – in, this is Southern California, right? So like Los Angeles area or yeah. – okay. So you're yeah, growing up yeah. there. You, you're, the, the, you're Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go on. 
Uh, well, the, uh, so you're a you're a great student, like you said. Um, you're growing up in Southern California. You decided you want to go to law school. Where did you go to law school? Well, I'm not trying to dox myself here, but somewhere in Southern California. Oh, all right. And um, and basically, there's certain cases where, okay, like. I don't, I don't want to talk about, any, you know, bore anyone, but, you know, like, let's say a guy bring, brings a gun into a nightclub and there's a statute that, you know, if, if you're not uh, a peace officer, then that's a felony. But then he was a correctional officer. And so he thought he was covered on the statute, but he wasn't. And then after three appeals, he got convicted. And so the, the big, the big punchline of that case is that even if, it takes three appeals to get you convicted. And even if there's no way for you to interpret the statute yourself, guilty is guilty, period. There's no, you know, ignorance of the law is no excuse, even when uh, an unknown amount of judges perhaps w- might interpret the law in that case. So basically, they always argue for an expansive view of the law. They always argue for less liberty. And you, you can't really take the other side. And if, if you know anything about the the Ninth District, uh, which California folds into, it's just an absolute hellhole where activist judges rule supreme. So instead of instead of doing that and taking uh, antidepressants, I decided to follow a different career path. All right. How long were you in, <laughs> were you in law school? Just out of curiosity. Oh, I graduated. I went there for three years. Three years. Okay. Hated every millisecond of it. <laughs> and um, and it's, I don't know, you're in a desert and you have to pray that the desert doesn't enter within, you know? Mm-hmm. And I guess every immigrant has to ask themselves, you know, like, are they going to be true to their values or are they just going to cave in and, and sell out? So. All right. Well, um, so you- Let's talk about the red pill then. When did you first come to the red pill? Okay. Well, so I would say that the majority of men, the majority of their intellect is the the verbal, not the verbal, but the spatial variety. Most men who are intelligent become engineers and mathematicians. For me, I'm just wired the opposite way, so it's all verbal. And so I um, was bored as fucking law school. And I decided to write red pill posts and I wrote women are children. Um, instead of listening to my civil procedure, uh, teacher. And I guess I beat however many kids were writing that day. And, um, I just flew to the top, I guess, because my writing is fun and, and my ideas are novel and, um, you know, people would tell me you completely changed my life. And it's funny because a lot of those articles I wrote in the middle of the night in an hour. So, um, but I guess, you know, when people need you, um, they need you for a reason. You have to respect that. And so eventually I got pulled more and more into that role. When was so that first post? When did you write that first post that you mentioned? I think 2013. So not that long ago then. So about five years. Yeah, I mean, we can argue whether or not, yeah. 
2013. Well, yeah, that's why. Well, I mean, the Manosphere itself has been around since. I mean, the the origins of it were early 2000s. So the the um you know the I don't know when the term the red pill first came about. I mean, it was probably around then. A red pill, blue pill. 2008 is when it came. Is that the now? Is that the subreddit or is that just the term red pill? The term. Okay. When did the subreddit come around? 2012. 2012. In 2008, someone realized that. All of the games and all of the bullshit that these PUA sex artists invented between the years of 2000 and 2005 were unnecessary if you left the United States, if you left the West. And then they said, well, what the, what the fuck? You know, mm-hmm. like, you know, I don't have to play all these games with women. You know, if I go to Latin America or Asia, women are women. And so through that, they kind of pierced the veil and they said, okay, well, there's a world outside of feminism. And so they started using the matrix metaphor, the whole red pill thing. And um, the real reason why the red pill got started is if you think back to the Obama presidency, right, right around the beginning of his second term, he started pushing his far left SJW agenda. And and the red pill is is the the reaction to that that's where all of us libertarians started moving further and further right and that's kind of the beginning of that so i think that's how the red pill got started okay what what is the red pill to you what does that like that term how do you interpret that and what is in the first time you saw it what did you think well when i first saw it i thought the red pill was a rejection of feminism and everything goes along with it but now i see the red pill as a rejection of, of liberalism modernism progressivism and really any all of those modern philosophies wholesale okay um and so that can get you uh, it can get you into a pretty fun crazy place but at the same time you know if if you're in a society where women no one no longer have to have children you know perhaps you have to start asking interesting questions Right. Well, it's it's interesting that you interpret it that way because I definitely see that and I agree with you that, that there, there's a lot like the libertarian thing and the rejection of feminism and all that. For me, though, the, what I found when I started when I when I discovered it and I'm, I'm I, I found it last fall, so I'm barely in. But um, and I would even argue that a lot of people on that forum would say you haven't even fully swallowed it yet. You haven't gone through the full process. Um, but I consider it to be a self-help sort of thing or like a support group. And a lot of it is uh, is taking men that have been conditioned by our – they call it blue pill society, which is the sort of like you know feminist uh, uh, ideology or whatever that prevails in, in our culture. Uh, and uh, it sort of teaches you how to navigate that in a way that you're, you can still remain, like you said, traditionally masculine. And I well, – there, there's so I, much to careful. that. What's that? I'd be careful. I'd be careful because, you know, you could, it's easy to see feminists as part of, you know, the blue pill. But you also have to understand that the modern conservative parties of the United States, you know, they bent over and spread their cheeks at every single opportunity. That is true. So you also have to respect them. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? Because where were they for the past 20 years? What were they doing? So it's very easy to say, okay, okay, I'm not a Democrat anymore. Now I'm a conservative. But what were these conservatives doing? Right? So – you would call – there's a liberal, right? And then there's a liberal conservative like let's say Ben Shapiro. You know, Ben Shapiro 
he's not going to save you either. So you, so you have to transcend both of them, right? There's also a false masculinity, kind of like a James Bond, you know, Marlboro cigarette cowboy masculinity too. And you also have to transcend that consumerist masculinity. And, and, and all that's left is a big T traditionalist masculinity. So I guess one warning is don't fall into the trap of a false resistance. Yeah, that's that's interesting that you mentioned like there's there's several different levels to it or whatever in terms of like oh they're, it, oh, they're not they're not a level they're they're just still within the blue belt. Ah, uh, well, yeah, but like some people would say, like you said, like a lot you say traditional masculinity, and a lot of people might think, oh, John Wayne, you know, James Bond, and like you said, that's still not that's still not what you're supposed to be aiming for. Um, well, if we think about John Wayne and James Bond, you know, these are characters written. Not necessarily about by Hollywood friends, but definitely brought into life by Hollywood friends, right? And so they um, – Hollywood friends in quotes. And so you're getting a, a masculinity product in the same way that you can go to the supermarket and get a juice product, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I would say um, squeeze your juice yourself because if somebody else is packaging your masculinity for you, you're not going to have a good time. Yeah, and, and that's actually – I do hear that a lot, which is – like you said earlier, you mentioned the, the PUAs, which are pickup artists for those – for the uninitiated. Um, and they were like a community of guys that would go out and have scripts and certain formulas for picking up women at clubs and things like that. And uh, and what the, the, the whole Red Pill community came about and did was it said you ha- there is no formula. You ha- every, there is only individual – uh, journeys or whatever, and you have to figure out what works for you. And the only person who can do that is you. So, um, and actually you mentioned Ben Shapiro. My next question is, uh, I want to get your opinion on the, the, the current sort of default gurus, if you will, of the red pill. I don't even know if that's the right word to describe them, but there's the three R's. Um, uh, Jordan Peterson is considered one. Ben Shapiro, I wouldn't call a red pill guy. It sounds like Jordan Peterson isn't considered one. I hope not. Some people would would do that, man. Some people consider him to be well, on the well, same then, page. Then I don't, but I didn't know what they're talking. About. Well, that's that's guess, that's fair. But I want to talk. Okay, so so, I'll, so I'll you're not you're definitely not uh, you're definitely not with with him. Um, but uh, the the three R's. I should Rolo Tomasi is one. Roosh V is another, and then I always forget the third one. Um, Hartiste. Yeah. Royce. Right. 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 Um, so just just talk about them. It sounds like you're not you don't have yes. anything good to say. So go ha- have at it. Okay. Man. So I mean, Rolo, I know him. I've spoken with him. Um, he wrote the Rational Male books, and um, they they kind of come out of a biological essentialism, and and that's how they analyze the sexual marketplace. And I would recommend anyone listening to buy those books just right away. Um. And so he's a great guy. Awesome. Um, next, there's Roosh. And Roosh, he is, he was more in the pickup artist scene. And so he does not have as much of a top-down view of it. But he is more tuned into the whole degeneracy and the decay experience in the modern West. And uh, he's not an immigrant, but his parents are. I think he's Persian-Armenian or something like that. And so he has access to another culture, and you can see how the American culture is being pulled down. And so 
you see a lot of anti-feminism there and anti-globalism out of him combined with uh, dating advice. Um, and then finally, Royce um, slash Hartiste is like Rouge, but he takes things even further and he's basically bordering on the race realist alt-right. Um, and so that's... So if you go to, you know, ChateauDeHartiste.com, ChateauHartiste.com, you know, you'll see a lot of stuff that, you know, uh, I, I don't know how to verbalize it, but it's, I'd, I'd categorize it as identitarian. Let's just say that. So that is the core of the manosphere. And then you have Jordan Peterson, who is a liberal conservative. And a lot of people believe him to be part of the red pill. He's not. He's definitely not. Because fundamentally, he's still trying to salvage the system. And uh, Peterson is a combination of Jungian pagan mysticism and Christianity, which they're antithetical. You can't, you, it makes no sense. And one of the things you will learn from Jungian pagan mysticism or pagan mysticism or the tarot cards, whatever you want to do, is that a decline can't be reversed. And Peterson acts as a stabilizing force. So basically, he'll tell you to go and be a productive member of society. And what that's going to do is you're going to be taxed and used by, let's say, the degenerate elements of, you know, the, the whole HR game or the diversity game, and you're going to stabilize this rotting system, right? Mm -hmm. So he's still trying to save the system as a liberal conservative, and that's that's why I think he's not red pill. That's why he's false red pill. And and he says a lot of things like clean your room or wash your dick, things that are pretty obvious that a lot of men, you know, would agree with, but. You know, you could tell a whole bunch of uh, dirty boys to wash their dick and they'll be like, oh, wow, I've never heard that because they're pining for, you know, uh, a male figure in their lives. But that doesn't make him a uh, red pill. You know, red pill is a rejection of the system. That's that's the definition. Uh, OK, OK. So I see. Yeah. And I have heard, you know, I follow Rolo on Twitter and he constantly is 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 tweeting at, at Jordan Peterson about like. You know, Jordan Peterson will write something about his wife, and, and and now I see what you're talking about. You're right. Jordan Peterson is saying assimilate, you know, figure out how to assimilate into the system, and the other guys are saying the system needs to go. So, uh, you, you know, what I would say is the people listening to you and you are heritage Americans. Let's just use that verbiage, and they are the people who really power the the productivity, the economic activity of the U S right. Young American men. And in order for the American system to survive, you just need to be taxed into oblivion. Right. And what, what I'm saying is you should leave to Latin America where your intellect and economic output is appreciated, where people aren't feminists and where the taxes are more than half less than what you experience in the United States. And that's why you're in Chile right now. Yeah, I'm testing it out, but I'm going to find a way to move here forever. Okay. Well, so if if the system needs to be rejected, I mean, first of all, can it, can America even be saved then in your in your estimation? And if so, then what needs to happen in order for that to be accomplished? I mean, I don't 
a decline can't be reversed, right? So if a piece of bread is rotting, right, you can put that rotting piece of bread in the refrigerator and slow down the spread of, of the mold. But you can never fully take all the mold out of the bread, right? Kind of what you see with Donald Trump is, yeah, he, he got in, in office, and then you have a uh, a a bureaucracy that complies maliciously that doesn't push it push his values through right it's so infested top down that the system can never change and that's why the smart thing to do is to start a new system you know kind of like if you think about blockbuster right um if you think about the waning days of blockbuster and how they tried to introduce a a few cute little reforms or like you know all these companies on the decline sure you can slow down that decline but they're they're all going to collapse anyway so um you know um your ancestors moved to this country you can move to a different country not a problem so what what do you think is going to happen then like what will this the where will the decline lead okay um all right there's a lot of countries that are in that decline already and so I would point to Latin America. Basically, after World War I and II, a lot of Europeans moved to Latin America. A lot of French and Italians and Germans. And they had an economic boom because you had these very intelligent, productive people. Yeah. Argentina is a good example of this. But then Argentina had a lax border policy. And so they started letting in a lot of lower IQ Central Americans. And, and what happened then is you have these high IQ Europeans paying into socialism that goes to fund th- these favelas. And the more you feed the bottom with money, the more the bottom grows. And that's what happened. And then they, those economies crashed. Like, you know, Venezuela used to be an amazing country. I spoke to a man from Venezuela. I think his grandparents were French. And they said, this is where you would go to buy land and start a business. Well, eventually through those migration patterns, you know, um, there's the people who produce and there's the people who take and a whole bunch of takers moved in, moved into those countries. So I guess what I'll tell you in the United States is it's going to fo- follow an Argentinian model and that the white and Asian base is going to pay bigger and bigger taxes to uh, a lot of dreamers and their kids. And then that will just and, and that'll sustain as long as it can, and then eventually it'll morph into something right. else. So, so they don't, then the, you can, you know, things don't collapse quickly. They kind of meander along. They hobble along for a long period of time. So basically, you're just going to be in a, in a very unfavorable tax climate, and you're also going to be in an unfavorable political climate, and your kids are going to go to school in an unfavorable education climate. You know, I'm not. I, I'm not saying like the streets will burn and you know the Antichrist. You know, that's like it, it's just kind of like a like a slow descent into. You can kind of watch California, right? California was a very white state. Um, you know, had a, was very productive, and slowly they opened that border up, got flooded with Central Americans, and now the Silicon Valley in Hollywood has to support all of these illegals. 
And so the price of property is very high. Taxes are very high. And it's just an unfavorable business climate. And definitely an unfavorable political climate. And if you want guns in California, that's also unfavorable too. I mean, when you import people, you get their values too. Right? Mm -hmm. There's no such thing as magic dirt. Okay. um, So, well... Uh, there's, I'm trying to think of where to go go with this because there's there's some things that I want to ask you yeah. about that, but I also kind of want to move on to because we're we're uh, we're we're over halfway okay. done here. Um, okay. I guess uh, I'll move on to the we have this whole incel thing that's going on and and the mass shootings that have been yeah. happening in the U.S. Could you just t- right. talk about that for a little bit and what your take is on on those events? Okay. Well, so society can be structured in a number of ways, and right now we have. Uh, a matriarchal society. You can think of the Statue of Liberty as a great mother. So the freedom of the United States isn't necessarily a freedom to do what of what you want. There's the great father, which is, let's say, a tyrant or a king. And the great mother is saying, it's okay, Timmy. You can eat as much candy as possible. You can have a gay pride parade. So it's not a freedom for the great man to be great. It's the freedom for the little man to be little. That's the freedom of the United States. Hmm. And so uh, what's happening is in a matriarchal society is women have no need for beta males and losers. Women like winners. And so when things are structured in a feminine way, yeah, sure, that's the top of males do really well, right? But the bottom are, are attacked by HR departments, basically. Um Whereas if we had a Apollonian conception or a society that was patriarchal, um, a good example of that is, I don't know if you've seen Wolf of Wall Street. I have. You've seen that movie? with Okay. That's a patriarchal conception. You have an alpha male on top. He has betas and omegas beneath him. But he needs those men who aren't necessarily leaders, and he brings them up with him. They get bonuses and stuff like that. Right? So um, – Whereas in a matriarchal society, they get henpecked by HR. So that's that's what happens. They society pushed them out. Society said they don't need them, and they, um, you know, they uh, turn to violence. They, it's an existential crisis that leads to violence. Okay. Um, so you say we we live in a matriarchal society. What would you say? Obviously, feminists say that we live in a patriarchy. Um, so what would you say to them if they say, well, hold on, we don't live in a matriarchal society at all. We live in a patriarchy. Okay. Well, if, if we lived, well, well, first of all, those feminists are funded by the government, right? Mm. There's no, there is a, there's a matriarchal women's studies, which spreads those values that's funded by the government because the government supports that. Right. So where's my patriarchal department? Right. Feminists like to believe that they're rebelling against the system, which is funny because the system pays them. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, it's a traditional female lack of introspection. That's what I would say. Okay. So, so we, <laughs> we do not, we, I, cause I can see it. Definitely. You, you make the argument that we live in a, Rolla Tomasi calls it the feminine imperative. It's a feminine uh, prime, feminine primacy uh, society or a society that so why operates is society on society supporting them financially. If we live in a patriarchy, mm-hmm. 
Well, I, I, one of the arguments that I heard, which I thought, and I don't even remember where I heard it, um, but it was if patriarchy really was this tyrannical dictatorship, then feminism wouldn't exist at all because anybody who dared uh, hold a rally or teach a class on that would be executed. So I, I, I always thought that that was, that was the, the best argument that I'd heard for, you know, if, it, it, we may have like patriarchal, you know, even if, you know, feminists, uh, if, if I'm looking at it from their perspective and I'm looking at our society, uh, I can see, you know, like if, if I were them, maybe I would, I could see what they're, they're trying to see. Uh, but uh, it's just the pa- it, the patriarchy is a sexual fantasy of feminists. Mm-hmm. That's why a lot of them are into bondage and all sorts of degeneracy because they were robbed of that male control that they need as a woman. You know, when a woman doesn't have male guidance, she becomes an obese, right, and shaves half her, half her hair. <laughs> I've never obese. heard that one before. <laughs> right. That's if good. you come to a country like Chile, you know, sixty percent of women aren't fat. You know, they, they, it's, it's not beast wars over here. Mm-hmm. So um, the patriarchy exists in their minds because they dream of being put, put in their place by a man. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen because why, why bother expending your energy at these women? You know, they want to go to buffets, you know, both literal and metaphorical, right? You know, in a way, um, those slut walks are a big pleasure buffet. Right. They just they, they do it because they desperately want to be put in, in their place by a man, because a lot of those men don't even want to have anything to do with, do with them anymore. So, yes, the patriarchy exists, but only in their mind as a fantasy. OK, what uh, so in a way they're right. What sort of advice do you have for a guy of, of any age, really, who's kind of at the point where he's like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong with my life, but I just feel like something is really wrong and they find the red pill. And they're kind of on the fence as to whether or not they they want to, um, you know, really to take the pill, so to speak. What sort of advice would I mean, you have for a guy like that? I would argue they're not doing anything wrong in their life. They live in a degenerate society that hates them and attacks them for their masculinity and that they should find a source of stable online income and leave. Right. I mean, we can create anxiety and depression through the environment. Right. Like, let's say I, I installed a speaker in your house that played crying baby sounds randomly. You'd be depressed and anxious, right? That's some Harrison Bergeron <laughs> shit right there, yeah. Right. So I, I would say that maybe maybe the environment is causing that. Because over here all the men are happy. And when I walk down the street, you know, um, you see happy couples with their children holding hands. You know, go to a mall and count the number of fathers. Where are all the fathers? Okay, well then go to Latin America, go to, I don't know, Mexico, go to a Mexican mall, and you're going to see a lot more fathers with their children. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, man, no, this is, this is all really interesting. Um, uh, and again, I'm just making a decision as to where I want to go, uh, just because I, I do have to keep it moving, but I, I want to stay on certain yeah, subjects that. too. Um, so I'll just I'll, we'll move on because I, I do want to get to the to the whining portion of the show. Um, and I'm sure a lot of what we've okay. been talking about will come up again in that portion. So, but I do want to ask you about your yeah. fitness program. You mentioned you just get, you stable online income. That's your stable online income. Yes, is your That's fitness my program. Um, so, so tell I've, us about it. I've been a personal trainer for uh, eight years. That's how I funded my education. Um, and I worked in the 
high end in Los Angeles. So my fitness program consists of four pillars. Obviously, one is I write I write a routine, but I write a routine that the client finds psychologically interesting. It's fun because the main problem with fitness is compliance. So first of all, a routine has to be fun. If they're not going, then there is no fitness routine. The fitness routine isn't what's on paper. It's what's being performed. And so that's that's important. Uh, next, I have this call it big brother strategy where people just take pictures of everything that they eat. And because people don't like to talk about eating cookies, Oh, I eat five cookies, bro. Um, through that big brothers watching, they, they start eating better and cleaner. Um, next, um, this is overlooked by all personal trainers. The key to a good squat and a good deadlift is good, good mobility. So if you're listening, you should buy becoming a supple leopard. And basically become your own physical therapist, open up your hips, um, you know, fix your anterior rotated shoulders and, and pelvic tilt. So just get that book, but I fix my client's posture. And then finally, um, fitness is stressful and we kind of live in a very stressful world. So it's important to check up on your clients and make sure they're on point and, and help them frame their their problems in a positive way or in a broader way because personal training is really very psychological. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, you know, what I learned from my eight years of personal training is that your ability to keep a client is, is how much they, how much rapport you build with them, you know, because doing those movements really sucks sometimes. I get it. You know, you get out of work, you have to go squat. Fuck. But, um, if you don't want to disappoint your personal trainer, I guess you'll do it. And I guess that's that's the bedrock of my my training service. The four pillars. That, yeah, that and pulling people out of whatever negative values they they picked up from their diseased culture. Do you find most people are, are pretty susceptible to this? Like you 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 have a, a decent success rate of doing that? Or is it kind of a struggle um, to keep people on the on track? Well, you know, I write, you can tell by how I speak and how I speak is how I write. It's pretty aggressive, right? So the people who usually come to me for physical fitness, they're kind of bros. I have a lot of military and former military. And, you know, if if you're, if you're already rejecting liberalism, then it's not that hard to reject your fat body, yeah. <laughs> which, which can be seen as an extension of liberalism, uh-huh. right? Oh, our society is weak and degenerate and only cares about pleasure. Uh, and then you're like, well, fuck, what if I'm weak and degenerate and only care about pleasure? What if, you know, what if some of that degeneracy flew into me? And so the people who, you know, cause, cause I'm half political and half fitness, right? So the people who, believe with me politically, you know, they, I have very high success rates. Now, now if I didn't, you know, if I was dealing with the general public, then they wouldn't have the same mindset. So I'm already selecting for people with, with a very uh, specific mindset. Okay. A transcendent mindset, I would argue. Well, one real quick, I did want to ask you, you, you use the word degenerate a lot. And I, I've, I've heard that yeah. on, on numerous conservative for, forums. I, I've always wondered like, what is, I know what it means, but like in your, okay. to, to glow, what does degenerate mean? Degenerate means does not generate. 
right? So if you're if you're generate, right? You're productive, you have a business, right? You're a member of the economy, you have a wife and kids, you're producing. Degenerate is a group of people who don't have kids and don't create, but absorb value. Kind of like the Democratic Party who wants to raise taxes and spend all your money on their NGOs, right? They, they do not generate. So it's so it's the makers and takers again, essentially, is what it is. They're the takers. Okay. Okay. Clearly, they're the takers. And so if you, you're stuffing your face wildly, then I guess you're a taker of food, right? If you're building a healthy body, you're generating. Right. It's, it's creation and destruction, just like every other, you know. Exactly. So um, the, the last thing I wanted to get into uh, with you um, before uh, I ask you what you want to whine about is uh, this uh, sigil magic um, uh, a concept. And I will be sharing a link on my Facebook page after the show um, uh, that uh, to a website where you can read more about this um, that you showed me. Um, but uh, why don't you just talk about sigil magic, what it is, and, and what exactly you're doing with it. The idea is that you know, you are not an island. You're influenced by all sorts of psychological influences, right? If you listen to depressing music, it can pull you down into depression, right? If you listen to uh, Katy Perry's California Girl, then maybe for the three minutes and 50 seconds that you hear it, you're a California girl. I mean, I think all the masculine men listening to this have been a California girl for three minutes and 50 seconds, right? So your environment really can have a strong pull on you, and, uh, you know, driving past billboards of um, men tugging on their penises, you know, what you would see in Hollywood, that could have an effect on you, right? It kind of pushes on you. You, you have a natural, I mean, maybe you forget you like that, but if most heterosexual men have like kind of a disgust when they see that. So the idea with sigil magic is that you, and it's it's a very antiquated term, but you just basically put out images that are inspirational. You know, that it's easier to work out, you know, to rock music than Bruno Mars. And likewise, it's easier to work out in a Samson tank top, you know, than a, than in a dress that, that they're going to be pushing on men in 20 years. So that's, um, that's what I'm doing. I, I try and put positive images out and since i'm you know i don't want to get a billboard i use people as billboards by creating interesting designs and selling tank tops that's that's why i sell tank tops uh so these so you put you put these symbols on tank tops and sell the tank tops and 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 influence people through those symbols of influencing the culture okay what are some of the symbols i have hercules fighting a lion (laughs) <laughs> and you know, that's the Nemean line and that's kind of overcoming and I think I think men need that I think men need to overcome there's a lot of obstacles and um, you know a big reason why we don't hear of these Greek legends anymore is because they inspire you um, and a, a lot of our culture wants to do the exact opposite you know uh, you know Greek boys used to memorize the memorize the Odyssey you know, this epic legend that would teach them how to become great men, something to aspire to, you know, and that's the exact opposite of what you see on television today. So I'm hoping to push those values in that little way and hopefully I can build up into something bigger. 
Okay. Well, like I said, I, I will be sharing the link to that uh, where you can buy the tank tops. Uh, that will be on my Facebook page um, after the show. Um, and uh, so we're coming up on the, uh, the the whining portion of the show now. So, uh, Glow, what do you want to whine about? Um, what do I want to whine about? I guess what I'm going to whine about is how the revolution betrayed, right? We I think we all voted for Donald Trump, and now he's firing missiles at Syria, doing the exact opposite. I think um, our parents kind of experienced the same thing with, with Ronald Reagan, where he's... Oh, hello? So it's kind of frustrating. Great ideas to kind of put down to something less and to something that you don't want. And um, I guess at the end of the day, you can't really rely on other people to create what you want to create. You just have to do it yourself because when you don't, you get missiles fired at Syria and a bigger government under Reagan. Well, it's, it's interesting because when, when Trump was elected, there were a lot of people saying, you know, oh, this proves that they, they have to be counting the votes because there's no way that this get, they'd let this guy in if, uh, if, if, if it was rigged. Right. And, to me, it proved that it it doesn't matter who who gets in. Like whoever gets in, they're going to the system is going to mold to its purposes, and uh, right. and I, and that's just that. You know the the view of the Russian government. If any of your viewers watch Russian news, which they probably don't, is that the president is elected, but that there's some very intelligent men in black suits who know how to psychologically pull people into doing what they want. And so Donald Trump gets in there and then he gets puppeted. And so I think the election is authentic. It's just that our uh, government services are really, really good at doing their job. And when people don't do their job, they get candidate. So, yeah. When you, uh, if you, if you go against the system, you get the convertible ride in Dallas. Convertible ride, yeah, exactly. The convertible treatment, the Kennedy treatment. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, well, so like you said, it's just it's the decline. Then you can't you can't reverse the decline, and so and, and even no. if you're the president. Yeah. So come here to Chile, find yourself a beautiful wife. There's so many of them. Live on the beach, buy yourself an amazing condo that overlooks the beach for two hundred thousand, and. Um, just yeah, just start something different. That's uh, my advice. Well, so there's hope. Just get on a plane. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> um, so I, I got to ask though, like, why Chile? Like, why not? Uh, why not Peru or, or another Latin American country? I mean, Ch- Chile is pretty European. I think Chile is about like seventy percent European. So you'll still have a lot of, you know, cuisine that you're accustomed to, or, um, you know. Peru is very indigenous and and so you're going to really feel a lot of that Um, a lot of that corruption and stuff like that Um, it's beautiful it's cheap they don't tax you heavy and um, you know a lot of the other Latin American countries like Argentina I think it's too late for them now I think they've devalued their currency recently I, I don't know I'm not tuned into that, but I just know how good it is here. So move to Vina Del Mar and, and um, it's and like a, it's, it's like a, 
a San Diego that's sixty percent cheaper. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Um. So I I got a one more question for you here, and then we'll wrap this up. But uh, I just want to know, like, where do you see the red pill going? Like, do you see it? Like, is is the red pill the fridge that you put the bread in that maybe slows the decline down a little bit, or you know, is it something something deeper than that? Just in your opinion, like, where do you see the red pill going, and what purpose does it will it serve in the future? The purpose of red pill, I, I think there's maybe, maybe you know, there's people who want to put the moldy bread in the fridge, but I think the purpose of the red pill is to open the fridge, take out the moldy bread, and then rub it in the face of those people and really make them understand what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Like, why do I want a moldy sandwich in my refrigerator? You know, maybe we should get Jordan Peterson to eat a moldy sandwich, you know, to acknowledge the truth. And it, it is a painful process and no one's going to like you, but that, that's also what makes it really exciting and fun. So, um, rubbing people's faces in the truth. That's what the red pill is. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. Cause at one point, I mean, to keep, not to beat the, the bread metaphor to death, but you know, at one point, at, at a certain point, your bread is moldy. You can just make another loaf of bread. Right. And so that's, that's what I thought but, it was. But some people refuse to make that that new loaf. Mm-hmm. So you got to rub their face in the moldy bread uh, because otherwise they're not going to do it. All right. Well, uh, glow. Thanks so much for, uh, for calling in today. This Thank has you. been a really interesting, I, I always say like, I only, I have an hour of time and, uh, and it's, it's never long enough. There's always so much more to get into. So, um, Excellent. uh, so thank you so much. Um, hang on the Thank line you. for, and I'll, uh, I'll give you a proper goodbye after I'm off the air. Um, but, uh, everybody else, um, I'm actually taking Memorial day off. I will not be in here next Monday, so I will see you in two weeks. This has been American Winer on podcastdetroit.com. <laughs>